The Back to Back Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Mo, did you know that NBA ticket prices always drop right before the game starts? That sounds crazy, Dave. Well, that's the truth. And because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices that go up to 60% off, which is wild because NBA tickets are so expensive. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Has this been used by other people? I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure, Dave. Hey, people all over the country are using this for things like going to see Taylor Swift or going to see the Los Angeles Lakers. You literally could go see whatever kind of entertainment you're into, uh, musicals, Broadway shows, whatever. Uh, very easy, two taps to check out. You find your price, two taps and you're done. Game time app, simple, quick and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. Are you ready to be entertained? the back-to-back podcast on The Athletic. It's Thursday. I'm Dave DeFore, and that means this is Nerder She Wrote. Joined this week, as always, by Mo DeKeel, and as sometimes by Seth Partnow, as he likes to remind me on a regular basis. What's up, guys? As, as all but one time. <laughs> I mean, no, you, you remind him enough to make it seem like it was several. <laughs> I hear about it constantly. Uh, I mean, and sometimes at, th- at two days defense and you know how much it pains me to defend Dave and I'm going to get on Dave a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's your cat. Sometimes the power goes out, goes out in your area. I we don't. It, it's it is. You are becoming a difficult podcast partner there, Seth. <laughs> oh, you know, I've, you're not the first person to describe me as difficult. So, oh, uh, you know, you guys have good Thanksgivings. Yes. Did not leave the house from Wednesday afternoon to Monday morning. It was Oh awesome. my god. Yeah. On purpose? Living on yeah, yes. <laughs> we just sat around the house, watched Mandalorian and ate leftovers. You didn't go like stir like that's listen, like that's we need to have a discussion here, Seth. I well, mean, that's a bit much. Well, hold on. No, I, I mean, think the discussion we need to have is about the baby Yoda. <laughs> Clearly. He's sweeping the nation. I mean, he, he was until Ted Cruz tweeted the meme. So now it's 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 dead. And <laughs> Baby Yoda yeah. needs to die in the next episode of Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, just ba- ba- Baby Yoda has been milkshake ducked. That's 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 <laughs> tough. I right? couldn't. And nobody you know what, could have seen me, that one coming. By the way, do we? And it is it is a boy, right? So it is a Yoda, not a Yaddle. I don't know. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, so here we are, first week of December, getting some big games. And all I've been told is that the regular season doesn't matter. I'm here to push back on that, guys. I think the regular season is almost as important as the postseason. Now, clearly, 
You don't win championships in the regular season, but having a good regular season can certainly make it easier to win a title in the postseason. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, hold on. I think that you've already kind of you're, it's it's you know you're you're arguing on in the wrong frame already even talking about it in terms of a championship because then that just feeds into like so the only thing that matters that. is the championship. Right. Right. And you know this that like people this is an entertainment thing because people watch it because they want to watch it because it's entertaining in and of itself. Um the 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 championship was not created be, and then it became entertaining the championship grew out of it uh and and so the game itself the, the it certainly matters to the the players to the coaches to the people who are who are operating with these teams i mean they, they may not win a championship but they win their next job or they keep their current job or they don't and that's you know kind of a big deal like you know in anyone's job you know it's not uh, a, maybe writing the TPS report isn't the most important thing you do, but it's you know to some level got to get done, and got and you do it better and better things happen. So uh, being attentive to that is is important in and of itself. And and since this is a product that is a monetary generating thing because people are entertained, like the fact that it exists, there is a game tonight. There are many games tonight that people are going to go to to you know spend their money and their you know limited free time like that in and of itself is what makes it matter like and that's you know i might be the weird person to like be be uh you know giving the up with people message or whatever but you know let's not let's move away from like oh it's just the ring because yeah if that's all it is then why are we bothering with all this stuff beforehand Right. If no one cares, but people obviously care. Like self-evidently, they watch on TV. Like players for care. the ratings to drop, there had to have been ratings in the first place. Right. So it's not, it's, but it's players almost, care. But it's almost beyond that too, though. I mean, there's a lot of things that matter about the regular season that that goes into it. It's it's you look at it and you just everything you're gonna see in the postseason, you're building these habits in the regular season. And I know we're we're saying like you don't want to lead up to this this is part of the championship, but you build your habits in the regular season. Like, you know, the teams that very, very few teams can just flip a switch and go from regular season right to playoff basketball. And the teams that think they do generally flame out at some point in the playoffs, you know, and, and the very few can go on to win it. But you build your habits in the regular season. You know, I was on the Brody and the Beard pause and I was talking about listen. Russell Westbrook has to work on his decision making now because that's going to matter down the road. And the decisions he makes now has an effect to that. You know, the start of the year where I was saying LeBron James has to play defense in the regular season. And it's it's not just because it makes the Lakers better and all the, the seating and everything that goes into that. But it allows the team to develop defensive chemistry. If he doesn't make rotations in the regular season but starts making it in the playoffs, then the guys who were covering for him in the regular season don't know what to do in the playoffs because now all of a sudden he's doing it and they have two or three guys making the same rotation and leaving holes in other areas that would hurt them. So, you know, the, the regular season basketball is extremely important. And on top of all that, even for the teams that are making the playoffs, for the young teams, it's the building blocks. It's the step forward. It's it's seeing the growth and the potential in these guys. It's, you know, the Hawks may not make, I don't think the Hawks are making the playoffs. I didn't think they were at the start of the season, but you want to see growth. You want to see them look better and see them improve in that sense where you feel confident down the road that this is going in the right way. And, and 
every team's goal should not be we're winning a championship this year because that's not attainable for everybody. Some team's goals is like, hey, we're just not going to be as bad as we were last year, except for the Knicks. The Knicks tend to just constantly continue to be worse than they were the year before. But like that's the goal for the teams, though, is is how do we continue to move forward? Like getting to the championship the is like Knicks. what what fresh hell can we make of the, of the, this year? <laughs> I mean, it really seems like it. Let's that's just be a, honest. Really, here. that's really a commitment to the brand. Yeah. I mean, it really just seems like it. at this point, this is the only th- thing that makes sense about them is like, oh, that seems like the right thing to do. Cool. Let's do the other thing. Um, but in general, like you just see it's it's growth, you know, the. The young Oklahoma City teams are a great example. You know, KD didn't make the playoffs his first two years in the regular season. He had to learn and work his way through and then get better teammates, and they continued to grow. And they didn't have immediate playoff success, right? Then they had to lose in the first round against the Lakers, and I think what was probably like the last five-game series uh, that was in the NBA, you know, they, they pushed the Lakers a little bit and they slowly had to continue to grow. And sometimes it's that incremental growth. And a lot of that starts in the regular season. And that starts sometimes in a couple of years. Like we might see that with Phoenix this year. Uh, we're, we're watching in Sacramento. It looks like they're, they're getting a little bit better than after their slow start, but man, like it just drives me nuts when people are like the regular season doesn't matter. I'm like, no, it, it, it matter. It makes all the difference. Right. And, 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 it's not like we don't get big games. I mean, we, we get huge games this week, had some big games, had Utah, Philadelphia, it had Toronto, Miami. I mean, it's just like, these are big games that actually do matter. And not only do they matter that night, but you know, we're, we're working out seating for the playoffs. We're seeing, we're seeing what these teams have made are made of. You're going to see teams that might struggle against good teams. It's going to define what they do at the trade deadline. Yeah. And then on top of that too, like you mentioned playoff seating, listen, there are bad losses that you can have in November that are going to come back to haunt you in March. You know, there, there are teams you're going to lose to, uh, somebody lost to Memphis recently, right? A, a pretty good team, Minnesota, Minnesota lost to Memphis. at home without at John home. Morant. Right. And I'm just like, yo, like that's a loss. Trey Jones revenge games. That's right. Oh, don't get me started because they did a tribute video. I talked about it on the ding. They did a tribute video for uh, for Jones, and I and, and, and I'm no longer having it now. I'm that's it. We're done with that. That's a whole other rant well, for he's, another he's time. Whole, he's from Minneapolis, so like you know that, great. That, you know what you could do? Different. You could put a little cue card up there saying, "Hey, Tyus, welcome back." Okay, welcome that's Apple it. Valley's he, own. <laughs> I don't even know how you make a highlight video for a guy that averaged four points a game for you. Bigger okay. than basketball, Mo. Bigger than basketball. Oh, get the hell out but, of here with that, Dave. But, <laughs> but, I, but, but as, I, a former, as a former Minnesotan, the one of us factor is quite strong. Yeah. Because y'all never leave the house, as evident by you not leaving this past weekend. I think I think to your point, Mo, that that sometimes these bad regular season losses tell us as much about a team as the good regular season wins. For sure, you know, and there's there's a grain of salt you got to take with some of the regular season stuff. Sometimes you got to look at the schedule and things like that, and you know, third game in four nights or whatnot, or off a of back to back or brutal travel schedule and things like that. So you know, the, the, you take some of it with a grain of salt, but it also gives us clues into what this team is, you know, because a lot of teams, and I, maybe Seth can speak to it because he's been in the league more recently, but like. To me, a lot of teams just work on their philosophy night in and night out. 
you know, they might tweak the game plan here and there, but they're really kind of just getting down their systems. And this is what we do. This is who we are. And we're crafting our identity so that when they go into the playoffs, they have their identity and they can make whatever changes they need to do from that point on if they make it. And if they don't make the playoffs, they know what they either, Hey, we need to get guys that can help us get to this identity or we have a, we have to change our plan and move forward and, and, and start figuring out what we want to do next. I still think that, that we're, we're talking about the importance just way too much in, 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 in terms of what it means for the future. And again, like this is, and, and I think we've talked about this. I've talked about with this with Dave on other podcasts is like, when we start talking about the schedule stuff, like, the, the 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 group that gets left out is the fans that don't get to go to games if like the schedule drops a bunch and so you'd never like if a you know a, a rock band is on a is on a concert tour leading up to like the grammys or something like that do rock bands still do concert tours and then win grammys i don't know um but the, you know it's never like oh we're playing you know we're 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 playing des moines tonight this game doesn't really matter because it's all building up to how we play at the grammys no that that show matters because People, you know, people came and gave their time and money to see that game and to see that show. And it's just, it's not, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a different thing. Like it's not a, it's not a scripted performance in the same way. Um, but it's still the same kind of thing that, that, you know, that the players are competing because that's what they do. And that's what they've, they, like, they don't, the players don't get to this level and coaches certainly don't get to this level without being like obsessive about the competition of this game. And it matters to them and it matters to the people who come to see and spend their money and enjoy the game. And like we because we focus so much on like meaning and and like oh ratings and and like breaking down minutia and stuff like that, we I, I think that again, this is this is, you know, ironic coming from me, but we <laughs> <laughs> but but we do but at the same time like let the thing happen enjoy it it's there it's fun it's good that's right. that's the basis of what we're doing here and you know yeah there are there are reasons like that like people like being smarter about what they're seeing and knowing what's going on and being able to predict the future and stuff like that but that's only fun insofar as the underlying thing is fun and so the less the, the more we talk about like you know become like the pure transactional like, oh, what's going to happen in free agency when so and so in the draft and blah blah blah. It's like, okay, that those are the those are the condiments. Those aren't the the entree. The game is the entree, and so let's you know let's celebrate that. It's good. This is an inter aesthetically entertaining product right now, and we should be focusing on that because that's what people are coming to see. And yet, the playoffs are a heightened version of that, right. but they become a heightened version of that because it's sharpened over the over these individual performances over the year. Which you know, in addition to to serving that purpose, also are you know a piece of of you know a two and a half hour block of you know ten a ten thousand plus you know, fifteen thousand people coming together to to enjoy this thing that's that's happening in front of them. And let's you know, well, let's honor and, that a little bit. And that's this is and this is why when I talk about Giannis, I don't talk about his impending free agency. Because, you know, for the same reason for you Wait, know, myself, is he, I don't know. I, I've never I two years from now. That. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, of course. Okay. You you wouldn't know anything about it. No, nothing. Uh, yeah. He signed a lifetime contract. Right. Uh, but but there's so much there's so much really fun and interesting stuff. I mean, you know, wh however you feel about James Harden aesthetically, 
you know, like the way he plays, you cannot deny that what he's doing is extremely interesting and actually does matter. Right. I also want to push on this whole way he plays thing. Like everybody goes nuts about it and the free throws and the foul hunting and stuff like that. It's a good thing. No, but yo, Kobe fans, Kobe was all over that too. When he scored 62 against the Mavs in three quarters, 25 free throws. That's more than Harden. You know, every time Kobe shot the ball, he was screaming out, hey, yo, whatever, trying to get the ref's attention to get a foul call. So it's, you know, the only difference is Harden's more efficient. Now to go back to, you know, that's just fun. Like, I'm sorry, guys, him dropping 60 on Saturday was a fun game. It was fun and exciting to watch. And you're just kind of watching it going like, damn, he was efficient with how he was doing it. You know, and he's been struggling kind of shooting a little bit. And it was nice to see him have that kind of game. And I mean, like, we just got to enjoy these things. Like, this is the problem is like, you have so many people coming out. Well, this guy did that, or this guy did this. So, you know, this devalues that. I think they were even doing it on the Houston Rockets broadcast where they're devaluing Kobe's 81 to prop up hard in 60. You don't need to do that. That's fine. His 60 is just as great. And it's just all this stuff. And I think back to what Seth was saying and what you're saying is, the game itself, basketball right now, the product we have on the court is probably the best we've had in years. You know, like the the talent level we got, the talent we have coming for the next five to ten years is super exciting to watch. Like is all across the all all across the board. It's just this is good basketball. So it's just funny to me that we get bogged down to these things. And like, hell, I didn't think I was going to watch this many Charlotte games. They're fun to watch right now. I'm enjoying their regular season, watching Devontae Graham go nuts here and there. Like this is, this is good basketball right now. It's time to enjoy this stuff. And this is the stuff we get in the regular season. What's the most fun team that you guys are watching right now? Just, just from a pure, just enjoyment standpoint, like what, what is the, what is the team that you're getting the most enjoyment watching? I mean, Dallas for me. Okay. I was going to say for me, it's Toronto, but. Yeah, I, I, I like watching Luca. Like I, I can't take my eyes off him. Because I'm a jerk, I like watching Chicago blow close games. So that's <laughs> been the most entertaining for me <laughs> so far this year. Just like what what awful shot are they gonna come up with here? Uh oh yeah, that's a that's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, you know I wasn't you, expecting that type of answer. <laughs> but that's a but that's a good one. So Seth is 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 hate watching the Bulls and enjoying. No, it. it sounds like he's enjoying it. Yeah, he's enjoying it. But but he's 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 watching it, hoping that they screw it up. Which is I don't know. It, it just it it almost seems wrong. I don't like. I'm not I'm not hoping for it. It's just I'm I'm there and I let it wash over me. Which it's it's you know, it's it's been. Uh, you know, aside from a couple times in the last week, I mean that that absurd comeback win against was it? It was against Charlotte, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Earlier this week, and or was it late? You know, last week. Last who knows? Week. Like, yeah, the Thanksgiving is always weird about like weeks. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. yeah, but but still, just like you know, you know, and then last night, like I actually I I have to confess, I was watching the Suns game last night, and I and and like they're down like what five with a, with a minute and a half left and rubio airballs the three like two feet right from the top of the key and i was like well then switch off the game and then i flip wait they won and it's like and that's the kind of stuff that you know you're missing if you if you're just always focusing on like you know what's next instead of like what's what's going on let's let's you know let's it, enjoy the it, enjoy the spectacle 
isn't that the worst feeling though? Like you're yes. like, oh man, this game's over, and you change, and then you find out 20 minutes later or something. You're like, wait, what? They came back, they yeah. won. What are you? Yeah. What are you talking about? Um, you know, like one of my favorite games to watch actually was. Do you guys remember a while back the Oklahoma City Golden State game where Seth? Uh, I'm sorry, Steph hits that basically a half court bomb to win it. Like they come back, yeah. go to overtime, yeah. that whole thing. That was my, I still remember watching that game with my boys who aren't even really diehard basketball fans, but like, it was like the four of us and one of my buddies dad. And like, we're all just going nuts watching this game. I'm not cheering for anybody, but like, if you can't have fun watching this type of stuff, like this is great. And when I think about it too, it's like somebody changed the channel. Somebody decided to go leave, you know, at, you know, halftime of this game thinking the Warriors are going to get blown out and missed a hell of a night. Ever wonder how to get the hottest new shoes? The ones that barely hit the shelves? The ones you always miss the app alert for? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out, from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Bape, Palace, and Kith. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Now that we know that the regular season matters, let's talk a little bit about, about something that, that Seth has noticed and might be working on for the athletic that will come out later on this, uh, this week. Seth, heliocentrism. Okay. Okay. So what does Copernicus have to do with basketball? So like, that's basically the, the, the theory and that we've, I, I, I feel pretty strong that, you know, Kyrie Irving aside, we can agree that the, that the planets orbit around the sun. So that puts the sun at the center of the galaxy and thus the galaxy is heliocentric. Uh, now this relates to the NBA because I think more and more teams are kind of operating this way where there's one kind of literally see what I did there. One star at the center of everything and the entire team kind of operates around them. Now in the past, we've kind of seen that, uh, you know, one or two teams, kind of the uh, post KD uh, thunder, the, 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 the rockets recently, there's been a guy or two, you know, we have, uh, we have the, the stats directly tra- track it back to 2013. So guys who um, were using the, or, or directly involved, either shooting, turning the ball over, uh, creating a play with a potential assist on more than 50% of the chances during the game. There's a guy, two, maybe three every year from 2013, uh, up to about four last year. Uh, we can kind of estimate it through the mid-2000s. It was a guy or two as your Chris Paul, as your Steve Nash, and something like that. This year, there are seven guys doing that. There's six okay, teams hold on. that have – Yeah. I, I think that – can we guess them? Because, I, I mean, four of them are, are easy. Uh, Harden, Doncic – uh, Giannis and Trey Young. The other three are a little bit trickier. Yes. Um. So I gave a hint that, yeah. uh, of, of who one of them is, but Tyree. Uh, all right. No. No. Well, he's not playing enough. Uh. But interesting. Okay. So continue. Uh. LeBron. Uh. Um, yes. Kawhi. Which huh. I think that'll probably that'll probably change now that he's getting like him. He'll be playing more games with Paul George playing. So right. that's that's probably there's probably an asterisk there. Uh, but then uh, also uh, then uh, Westbrook still. 
which is which makes kind of the 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 rockets kind of a, a, a you know a, a you know a dual star system if you will if we can lean too much binary. into like the yeah, binary, binary exactly. system yeah yeah even though it's still even though one is still kind of burning brighter than the other if we can um stretch the metaphor are, well are past the breaking is, points is james harden a red giant is that what we'd call him oh my god dave yes right. yes wow. we would say that yeah, yeah. wow so wow. I it, it, but the, the so the interesting thing about this to me is uh, this is becoming more and more teams are having one player who uh, is of like outsized importance to their team in kind of the same way as a quarterback is in football. Right. And so all of the stats we've developed to try to figure out how much a guy is affecting the game. Like those made sense when it was a more kind of egalitarian, like, you know, a bunch of guys do stuff and kind of one guy does more, but not like a ridiculous amount more. I don't know how well those like modes of analysis apply to Trey Young, to Luka Doncic. Like if you know they're doing a different thing, so is it does it make sense to evaluate them the same way? And I don't know the answer. It's just something that I'm you know as we're coming up with the number of guys, you know, well nobody who's 20 years old has done this, that, and the other thing. It's like well yeah, because nobody's played this way and. Like to the extent that playing this way is kind of a an organizational choice in terms of you know they, there's not another ball handler on the the Hawks roster. There are other like ball handlers on the Mavs roster, but they don't they don't handle the ball when they're in the game with Luca. Um, so I just I, I think that's a really like it's a it's an interesting development to watch progress in real time. It's it's very much the LeBron and James Harden kind of role right like that everyone's doing and yeah it's it's like the lebron 2015 finals was almost one of the first where if you remember that was when Kyrie broke his kneecap in the right. first game of the finals and love was out because kelly olenic pulled his arm out of its socket uh and and though their only way they could really compete was like you know lebron like pounding the ball into dust and you know just like controlling everything about the games and hoping that he could give them just enough and they could slow the Warriors down just enough to kind of will them to victory. And it didn't, you know, didn't work. Obviously they was at too much of a talent deficit, but that, but it seems like, Oh wait, you could have the one guy dominate that much. And then it, he matters anymore. Huh? And it kind of, I don't know if, I don't know if it's intentional or it's just like we've had players come up who kind of fit this mold can, and can do it. Yeah. 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 I, Oops, sorry, I knocked something over. Um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's really interesting. What's interesting about it, too, is that this is in the face of what I would assume is the Warriors were kind of the opposite of this for a while. Right. right. The beautiful game and and, and moving movements. the ball and things like that. And you would think with that success and before them, even the Spurs, who for a long time have preached nothing but ball movement. So you kind of. It's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to kind of see everybody shifting towards this. I almost wonder if it's easier because it's hard to find the second guy sometimes. I mean, the, the Clippers situation is different because they were able to bring in Paul George. But sometimes it is hard to really find that second person to go with, you know, your ball dominant guy. Like, listen, we've talked about it many times about James Harden. Like, it's tough to play with him. You know, right. like you, you, you're not going to see the ball as much. You know, I imagine this is going to be the same for whatever ball handler comes to either Atlanta or Dallas, whatever secondary playmaker they bring into the fold. 
you know, it, it's, it's going to be something that they're going to have to figure out how to make that work and, and how they can be effective despite not having the ball as often as they're used to. So it's, it's almost, if I wonder if it is easier to a degree of like, Hey, let's just get the best ball dominant guy we can get and then just spread the floor and find as many shooters and, and guys like that. Like, I wonder if that's something that is that the new trend. I wonder if that's more what teams are doing. And, and I hate to say it cause I, I, I'm not smart enough to come up with a better way, but it's almost out of laziness, you know, or it being too hard to find the the other guy or that piece that fits. Yeah. I wonder if it's just easier to find one dimensional guys that can fit around a guy like that. Right? Like, so the warriors were great because they had a lot of versatility, but Draymond greens don't grow on trees. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it's easier to get a Kyle Corver type or a, a JJ Redick than it is a Draymond green. I mean, just looking at the history. So may, maybe that's something that these teams have figured out, but also I, I don't, I, I think that we're just at a point where we've got more guys that are able to do it. And that's why we're seeing it. I mean, clearly the, these guys can, can handle it. But at the same time, you can, you also have to like, and maybe Atlanta is the biggest example of this. Because, well, Atlanta and, and actually Houston for, you know, by and large are the bigger examples of this in that like the, the Atlanta, like, you know, with their signings and, and, and draft picks are just like uh, ball skills. No, we don't need them. Um, you know, and maybe that's something that'll change over time. And that's, right. you know, maybe a function of who is available where in this year's draft. I mean, I think, you know, maybe they, they, maybe they, 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 they draft a more kind of traditional kind of upsidey multi-skilled wing, uh, you know, in, with one of their, their early picks this year. Well, if, I think Cam Reddish, if, one, if uh, I said multi-skilled, not non-skilled. Okay. Um, if you can, you know, you get, well, you just teed me up for that, didn't you? Um, <laughs> no, but you know, a guy, a guy who's who, who, who both profiles that way and actually has shown he can do it. But the, that guy wasn't really available in this draft after like uh, RJ Barrett. So you know, anyway. Um, and I, but I also wonder if that's if it's a kind of thing. And I think like the Westbrook experience in Oklahoma City might be reflective of this. If that like. Yeah, that can get you from, you know, bottom lottery 20 win team to 45 wins Um, unless that guy is like, you know, inner pantheon guy doesn't get you higher than that. And and how does that change if you build your team that way? How hard is it to back out and add like like another I don't know, another another agitator, another drinkster? Because, you know, I I have. I have questions as to the viability for most teams of, you know, winning a title. You know, it's basically like in in kind of the modern era. It's basically LeBron is the guy who's done it that way, right? And even yeah. and even he had and even he had like the the, the 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 shot that won that title was not him creating with the ball in his hands. Yeah, so, it was uh, Draymond Green's nut shot. <laughs> Sorry, did I, was that, did I say that out loud? Oh. <laughs> But I mean, you're right. Like, so for, for, for a a long time, the league was like, you'd have one star, maybe two on a team. And then, you know, we went into the, the super team era and now we're back to like duos and stuff like that. But, but it is interesting to me that you have these guys that are doing, that are taking on such a high workload 
in an environment where all we talk about is workload. It feels like, you know, like with stars, you know, is James Harden doing too much? Is Giannis doing too much? Do these guys need more rest and things like that? So yeah. How do you, I mean, again, Seth, you were just in a front office. How, how do you juxtapose these two things that feel like they're pulling in opposite directions? No, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a, that's tough. That's a tough question, right? Like, you know, what's, what, what is, you know, best short term versus long term versus what is, you know, doable with the constraints you're working under. It's not, you know, like you say, maybe the clearest path forward is to, well, this is our path forward. So let's lean into it. Um, but it's just, it is interesting that that's, that more than at any time in at least like the last 15 years, like it was close to almost last 20 years, like, like twice as many teams are doing it now as I've ever done it before. And that's like, you know, again, and you've got, you know, a guy who looks like he might be a generational talent like Luca, like, you know, doing it well. And, 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 you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that, that overall Trey has had the same success in Atlanta, but you know, has been at least credible at doing it. Yeah. I mean, and, and part of that clearly is that Trey doesn't have the, the same roster around him that Luca does. I mean, but I don't know I mean, necessarily. Think, well, hard. But I don't even know if he'd like, be that successful with the same roster he may not. that Luca has. He may you not. know, and and vice versa, by the way. Right. Um. You know, it's just it's this is part of team building that you. Wait, you don't think find. you don't think that you don't think the Hawks would be better with. Luke. <laughs> I mean, no, they got. I I'm mean, sorry. I'm sorry, Hawks fans. You don't th- you don't think the Hawks would be better right now if the two switch spots really? Oh, like, I think they'd I mean, be better. No, yeah. I mean they. They'd be better, but like I may not necessarily be, be the right pieces, better. but not the pieces that necessarily would fit with Luca. Like you know, they don't have a shooting. Why, big. why like, would that be a problem defensively? More than okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Wow, Seth. Okay, Seth. <laughs> Seth. Hey, Hawks fans, go ahead and send your your angry tweets to Seth. Dave and I don't need to hear I, this. Just I'm send in it to Atlanta direct. right now. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> Dave, I want you to uh, just make sure they have Seth's Twitter handle as you go after him. But my uh, point, yeah. though, too, though, is like, you know, the the Porzingis trade was made on Dallas's part. It's an effort to pair him with Luca because they're like, yo, this is a big guy that can re- work really well with Luca. You know, this is a guy that can get out, pick and pop, can hit, sh- you know, the above the break threes and kind of open things up for him, can, you know. Whenever he gets kind of going again, he's gonna. He's been good defensively. I think he can be even a little bit better. I'm talking about Porzingis on that side of the court. You know, you put him in Atlanta. They don't have anybody that's a pick and pop guy. Like they don't. I don't know if they spread the floor as well. You know, do I think Luca can win? Yeah, Luca's gonna win games because I'm. He's a competitor and he's gonna win and stuff like that. Do I think they're amazingly better or, or it's drastically different? You know, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure on that, Seth. And I, and I think that's also part of just the whole team building thing is certain pieces work well with this type of player and certain pieces work well with this type of player. And I think that's the thing teams got to figure out. And, you know, and and I mean, hell, you know how hard it is in the front office, man. You might think a guy's one thing. You get him in your system, you start working him in. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, man, this dude ain't even half of what we thought. For sure. And that's, you know, that's always been a, and maybe to, to Dave's point, like if you're, if, if the, uh, you know, the, the roles you're putting guys in are, are kind of 
more forgiving, then you can, oh, maybe, okay, maybe he can't do this and that. But he can still stand in the corner, hit a three, make a rotation. So he's, he's at least useful to us. And, right. And if, you're, Tucker, if you don't right? – yeah. I mean that's – I think that's that's selling P.J. Tucker a little bit short just in terms of he's sure. you know, defensively. But, but like offensively, like he is one of the – like like actually I – I actually have it in front of me. He's one of like the lowest involvement offensive players in the league this year. Like, cause all he does is like literally all he does is stand and like, you know, he's, he's okay doing that. Um, he's actually the, the only player with a lower offensive involvement among like rotation players this year is Terrence Ferguson. Um, in terms of just doing like doing least like to, 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 uh, and the, his team scoring uh, uh, opportunities. So, but it takes a, it's not every player who can contribute something positive in that small of a role. You know, but like you're much more likely to have a guy like Ferguson who's just kind of there and maybe not bringing much to the table. And that's maybe a worry is because you can get, a, you can sort of get away with guys who are just there then you actually go to you know step up a level and it's just like oh we got it we have a passenger and now we can't compete because they've got five guys on the floor who can do things and we've got one okay so that is is extremely interesting that you would have all the warrior success with the ball movement and whatnot and that the warriors have a guy in Steph Curry who could probably stand to have the ball in his hands more. And then all these other teams are doing this and the, the warriors just will not. I, I like it's incredibly frustrating, but it's, it's more frustrating. I think on the, on, on the other team's part, in my opinion, than, than the warriors, like, you know, the warriors are, have found success with this. I think a lot of these other teams have not, you know, like the warriors have, have reached the mountaintop couple of times based on that. Whereas, you know, the teams that have tried to do this for the most part really haven't, except for LeBron the one time, I mean, and you know, this isn't all that new. I mean, we had the Iverson Sixers that went to the finals that basically was Iverson shot and everybody else defended. If I remember correctly, um, you, you know, like this isn't new stuff, but it is kind of funny to me on the flip side of it. Like you want to see Steph with the ball more, but I'm like, man, what they're doing is working. Why would they change that up? You know, why would they try to go? And I mean, unless they have to, unless the situations are, you know, they don't have the same guys and things like that. Fine. I understand that. But what they developed is working. I'm, I'm more surprised teams aren't trying to copy that at some level than, than instead of trying to copy the one that hasn't been as successful. So I, all right, this leads right into the next thing we were going to talk about coaching. How I wonder how coaches wrap their head around this sort of uh, a style, you know, where where it's literally rolling the ball out. I mean, in Houston, I mean, Mike D'Antoni, one of the most innovative coaches in NBA history, runs what is a, I mean, simplified, pared down NBA offense. I I, I wonder you know, if you could get a coach to talk to you uh, about it, I wonder how they would uh, approach that or, or how it affects them. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, every coach is, is different. Like you have some coaches that are incredibly stubborn, like 
Just look at Phil Jackson, who never wanted to veer away from the triangle. Even when he was in the front office in New York, he was trying to force his coaches into running the triangle. You remember all the stories of, uh, you know, him, him creating like a mini camp for trying, you know, to teach the triangle offense to the guys or whatever. And his coach is not even really wanting to run that offense anymore. You know, you have coaches that are incredibly stubborn in that sense. You know, I think you have guys that move and change with the times. I don't think, uh, pop gets enough credit for, for kind of changing, drifting a little bit away from the post, even when Tim was there kind of drifting a little away from the post and going into more pick and roll offenses with Tony and Manu over the years. Um, I think you just kind of have a, it's a different range all around. And I think you have some guys that are just dead set in their ways. This is what we do. And then you have the other spectrum where you have guys going like, I'm going to coach what's available to me and what, you know, and, and, and what fits my team best. And I think it's kind of a, and then you have the mixed in between where like, they'll change some things, but they won't change others. And, you know, or, or, or some aren't good at adjustments or, or aren't willing to, to take a risk on stuff. So, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a hard thing to, to, to almost say like pinpoint per coach. I, so, so I, go ahead. I kind of think that, you know, I think we've been around enough coaches in various sports to know that coaches tend to have a little control freak in them. And like, you know, putting one guy out there to direct the show, uh, I feel like that is kind of like, you know, you make fun of, I kind of, I like to make fun of like the, you know, when people criticize coaches for like, you know, the plays they run or what happens and stuff like that, they think the coach is there with a PlayStation controller, like, you know, running everything. It's like, oh, they ended up with that shot. The coach is dumb. Instead of, um, and but if if you're really going like super one guy do everything, then that almost allows the coach to because you know the you see coaches like no no you don't set the pick you go to the corner you come set the pick and and just kind of orchestrating like that from the sideline in a way that if it's there's more flow and kind of uh, egalitarianism and, and player movement that it's just kind of well I set this thing in motion now I just have to watch it happen and I think for for I think probably certain coaches are more uh, comfortable with kind of the illusion of control that that more static thing provides. What coaches are doing a good job this year? Let's talk about this. Like, I, Cause I think coaching is very hard to judge. You have to look at the roster construction. You have to look at, you know, team goals. You have to look at how, how teams can be handicapped, you know, injuries, things like that. So, who are you guys seeing from a coaching perspective that, that you feel like is doing a good job? I'll start with Mo, just, you know, former NBA coach guy. Uh, coach guy is very technical term. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Seth is going to go with Jim Boylan first. So uh, I'll <laughs> leave that option for him. Well, if, um, the te- if the team goal is tanking, you know. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of good, good coaching out there. I, you know, it's funny, Dave, like we, I had this in, list in my head off and, and then I've totally just lost it as we were talking, but you know, I'm going to go with Rick Carlisle. He's done a great job with this Mavs team. I didn't think this team was going to, I didn't think this team was going to be a playoff team. I thought they'd compete for a playoff spot. It's early still, but they're, you know, in like fourth or fifth in the West, they're, they're playing really well. Obviously a lot of it has to do with Luca, but a lot of it has to do with him putting guys in the right spots and, and working with these guys and getting them going and running good sets. You know, they did a, it was pretty interesting in the Laker game on Sunday night. They, uh, 
they just busted out a two, three zone. Like, I don't know how often they've played the zone, but you, you know, they busted that out and it totally caught the Lakers off guard and it threw their offense off for a while. And it allowed them to kind of really build this lead and blow it open. I just think he has a, a good feel for his team. And I think that's something we don't talk about a lot with coaches is not just, you know, the X's and O's and stuff like that, but the feel for the team of knowing when to do something. So I'm going to go with Rick Carlisle. Seth. Uh, the Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle is a, is a good one. Um, that actually brings up, um, uh, one of, one of those things that, uh, that, that, uh, Mo kind of, uh, um, an idea Mo kind of planted in my head was to look at the kind the teams that like are best at like stringing together uh, consecutive stops or, or consecutive scores. And interesting thing about Dallas is Dallas has been so far this year, the hardest team in the league to stop, to come up with an offensive, like have them have empty offensive possessions uh, three straight times. Like wow. no team has, no team has, uh, you know, and you know, okay, yeah, they've got you know Adder or among the you know the highest offensive ratings of all time, so that's not terribly surprising. But like you talk about you know a team that has outside of Luca, like not like absurd offensive talent, and the fact that you know they they are able to do that, uh, I think that kind of speaks a little bit to to what Mo is saying. Um, the two other the two other names to go, you know, Carlisle in the West, the two names in the East, I think that are you know, the, the obvious ones to me at least are Nick nurse and Eric Spolstra. Yep. Um, in terms yeah, of, list. you know, and you know, obviously teams that are, um, not superstar laden, but are kind of, kind of, and kind of succeeding in the opposite direction of what we we're talking about with a, with a more balanced, you know, right. Yeah. Like Siakam is doing a lot, but he's not, he's not nearly as central to what, uh, Toronto is doing and certainly not when they're healthy as as like some of these other guys are you know the the Kawhi Giannis LeBron and the, the one thing I like it's about Nick guys. Nurse the, the one thing I really like about Nick Nurse too though is like first off he's seen everything he's been in the G League he's coached yeah right know, and, he, like, and he's he, pulling from all those different sources and, and 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 literally like you know he's just like all right let's just he'll try anything if he thinks it's gonna work you know what I mean? And he's just like, all right, let's give it a shot. I appreciate that. He I'm doesn't sure have a bias about what is and what isn't NBA basketball. Right. And I and, think that that helps him. And I think to a degree, too, it just allows him to just be a little bit more like we're going to give this a shot. Let's see if this works. You know, like it's pretty it's pretty clever in that sense of just like he's willing to do. It. And then it's just because if you think about it this way, so much of what coaches see, even players, you, you know, is just conventional basketball. They see the same stuff over and over again. Where honestly, if you just throw a true two, three zone out there from time to time, it like the Mavs did, it sort of can screw, screw a team up just because they're so used to not seeing it and haven't prepared for it. Like he'll just throw out some random stuff out there and you're always just like, wow, that's pretty amazing. So I, I, I give him credit for that. I mean, it may not always work. Sometimes he might throw something out there and you're like, Oh, that's a scary idea, but you got to give him the, the willingness the, to look silly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And do it and just say, yeah, I got to see how this looks. You know, let me put this out there. Let's go. So, you know, he, him willing to throw that out there, it's it's, it's really good. And it's it's kind of <laughs> it's almost like his super skill. He's brave, of, of a coach, right? Like so like he's creative and he's brave. And I think that those are two great things to be as a coach. And 
again, he's not, he doesn't have this, um, what what's the word I'm looking for? He he doesn't think that he's too good to just try whatever. And, and it seems like he's willing to be questioned. Like I, I love his approach. I think he might, he could be like the best coach in basketball, right? Like at this moment. Um, and, and you know, I'm going to throw another name out there. I think Brad Stevens has been awesome this year. And I know that's going to come as a surprise. Spolstra to me was the best coach of the last decade, right? That's no surprise that Spolstra is looking great with this team. But I think Brad Stevens is doing a really great job too. I mean, can we, can we like the before, like not to, not to skip over Brad Stevens, but I'll skip no. over Brad Stevens. Yeah, that's fine. Can we talk about like, you know, you look at, you know, you talk about the, it's not just the strategic thing. It's the player development thing. It's everything. Yeah. like, yeah, bam had a bio, like who saw right. him becoming like a playmaking, you know, face the basket for despite like, you know, this and like, you know, salty Philly fans have, have pointed out that he's not shooting any threes and he's a playmaking whatever and blah, blah, blah. It's a coward kind of stuff just because of all the, all the, <laughs> right. all the, you know, Ben Simmons slander, but like Philly you know, fans I, get salty. I, I, yeah, I know. Right. Um, but like I was, I was, I was, you know, I was a huge Bam Adebayo fan in the draft. And this is not at all the direction I saw him moving in, in, in becoming in terms of his, his, the, the diversity of his offensive skill set. And yeah, that's obviously that's credit to Bam himself for putting the work in and having the the imagination to to become a different player. But like you want to talk about, you know, the player development and skill development and recognition and stuff like that. That's that's tremendous. And so and I, you know, we don't you, know, you talk about like Miami uh, just kind of discovering these players who are, you know, from, you know, going back to like Tyler Johnson, going back to Mario Chalmers becoming, you know, second round pick to, you know, uh, a mainstay player, but just kind of, uh, you know, molding these guys into, into really like high level NBA players. And, you know, the, what's the constant there? It's, it's, it's Spo. So, you know, I think he has to get a lot of credit for that just over, well, not just this season, but over right. his, his career. Well, Miami might be, I mean, it's one of like three or four teams in the league that actually builds players. Toronto is another one where, where they, again, being creative, being bold, they're willing to see these guys like, you know, think outside the box when they're doing their development stuff. I mean, and, and obviously they're benefiting from it. I mean, who would have thought justice Winslow was a point guard. Yeah, no, you got to give him credit for, for playing with that stuff and, and doing that. And that's, that's part of the development. That's part of coaching and that's part of, knowing your team and, and goes back to kind of the pulse of things and, and having a feel for your squad. So, I mean, I listen, I didn't have any thoughts of Winslow being a point guard until they started doing it. I was like, Oh, okay. This kind of works. Um, you know, but that's them. That's bolster looking at his guys going like, we, we can work on this. We can do this. You know, you have this ability. We can help expand on it. And that's at the end of the day. I mean, that's such a big part of NBA hoops. You, you really can't, I mean, it doesn't get talked about enough, but like the development game is is really the the make or break for a lot of these teams, because, you know, you're, you're not always going to be able to sign the free agents. You're not always going to be able to make the blockbuster trade to bring in the big name guys. It's it's who can you develop on your roster and built up? And that's that's something Miami's done a great job of. And they're in a city that's going to probably draw free agents whenever they finally get their cap space. And any any oh, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say to tie it back to what we're, you know, part of why the regular season is fun and meaningful is you can see this kind of stuff. You can see this growth. Like you can, you know, you, if you just, you, you know, if it's just, ah, we'll just do a tournament and that'll be it. Um, you, you, you don't, you don't get like guys don't get the reps to try something and have it not work once and, and, but still go back to it. If you don't have kind of the, this, this, uh, I don't know, the, the laboratory almost of these games that like, while individually meaningful are not life or death. So you can, we're trying to win, but we're also trying to build. So you can kind of do both at once where if everything is like, you know, if everything is an NCAA tournament game, like you, you want to, if, if you wanted to, to make the game like super conservative, that would be like make it single elimination. And you would just like the, the level of like, like across the league, the level of coaching pucker would be like, oh, boring. It would be boring. Yeah, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get anybody that's going to take a risk. You wouldn't get Nick Nurse who's going to throw out a, a a weird zone all of a sudden. You know, uh, you you won't get the box in one. You won't get a, a zone or a triangle two or whatever or or somebody running some weird offensive set that doesn't look like it should work but somehow works every time. Like you won't get it. You'll just get the same stuff over and over again. And at that point, you're just gonna you're just gonna bet on talent winning. And that's that's where you kind of lose some of that coaching stuff, you know, and I think overall just good coaching jobs you see is you just kind of see it in the long haul as you see where this team is gone, you know, where they started from and where they end up, you know, and, and this is this goes back to just, again, the regular season stuff, even if the team doesn't make the playoffs, if you feel like you've looked at this team and you go, wow, like. Atlanta's defense has been god awful right now. Seth Partnow has told me all about it on Nerd or She Wrote. Um, but if we look at it March and we're like, but damn, they really kind of picked it up from December to to March. Like something clicked. They're able to figure it out. You know, some of that's Lloyd Pierce figuring this stuff out, putting the guys in the right schemes and whatnot, and things like that. Like that's coaching. That's good growth, and that's the stuff that's really fun to watch throughout the season is, is seeing this kind of stuff develop or, or watching a guard who, whatever, not able to make this type of pass out of the pick and roll at the beginning of the year, but just through reps and practice and seeing it over and over again in games and opportunities, finally able to make that corner pass or whatnot. Like that's the growth you see. And that's, you know, a lot of that is stems from coaches sitting down with him in film, walking through, walking through it with him, drilling him with it, you know, showing him the opportunities where he could have made that pass and him slowly learning. Like that's just the fun stuff of basketball. And that's kind of, you know, coaching goes hand in hand with the players being willing to be coached. And I think that's just a big part of what we see. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now, but um, I think it's just, this is the fun stuff we got. And we've got a Got a lot of great coaches. I mean, we I can actually go down think the there are very few. Like, I mean, this might be in my memory the like the most good coaches that the league has ever had. It seems like there's not really. I mean, maybe there's one or two bad coaches. I'm not naming any names mean? here. Well, I'm not naming any did. names. You're not. Did. Nope, not naming any names. You did when. Uh, when we introduced the segment, when you claimed that oh, I was going to, yeah, sure. That was earlier. Me. That was earlier. Me. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, who's talking, right? So that was me I, when I did that, right? You I'm know not, which one of us is talking. I'm not naming any names, but oh. there, there might only be like one or two bad coaches. I, I think that just goes to show like 
when when we talk about how front offices are getting smarter and things like that, like coaching to me is, is has been the low hanging fruit that I, I feel like is is taken the longest to turn. You know, scouting scouting and drafting like that's a crapshoot no matter what, right? No matter what people try to tell you, there's still an element of you know you're you're taking a good guess with coaching. I think that you can have you can find guys that have a good track record. And you can find guys that interview well. And I think that, that the league is getting better at finding guys that are really good coaches. I mean, Nate McMillan is doing a great job. I mean, they're, they're, they're beating up on bad opponents, but they're beating up on bad opponents. And that's part of the job. You know, um, I think Bud is doing a good job in, in Milwaukee. He's keeping those guys going, you know, on, on the heels of a, a 60 win season. Like it's hard to come back when you lose in the playoffs like that and, and keep them going in the regular season. Um, anybody else standing out? Have you guys, how do you guys I feel mean, about Taylor Jenkins? Some of the new coaches, uh, John Beeline, I think is doing before, a good job before, before we go into the new coaches. Cause yeah. I have an, I have a little bit of a different opinion before we do go into those guys. Yeah. Frank Vogel is a guy that needs to get talked about more as a good coach. Cause people, it, here's Didn't the he thing coach of the month. He did. But this is my point though, is I write an article in August about Frank Vogel's, you know, being a good defensive coach, it might be good for the Lakers. And the amount of stuff I got back was like, that had nothing to do with him, Pat Burke, all this stuff who, you know, might've been the guy that spearheaded the defense, but it takes your coach, your head coach kind of putting, putting this all together and, and, and building it up. And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit because even though they're beating up on a bad, uh, a pretty soft schedule as well, like how many people thought they were going to be this good out of the gate, especially defensively. Like that's, that's I mean, why we, we want at the start of the year, we were, we were worried about them having enough guys to come to compete without like on a nightly basis without like running LeBron and AD into the ground. And now it's like, okay, you're getting like great minutes out of JaVale McGee and, and Dwight Howard, like, cause everyone saw that coming. Right. right. Um, so, and you know, again, credit to those guys, I think, especially Dwight for like, you know, it's, it's almost it's almost makes me almost wistful that he is on the on this like the downslope of his, of his career has finally embraced what his kind of best traits were to begin with um and and you know sad that he kind of got ruined by the outside voices that convinced him to try to be something he wasn't offensively uh, that's a whole other topic for a whole other time but still like you know this is teams like oh yeah they're relying on javale and dwight uh, good luck with that and then like yeah they they have had good luck with that. They've done very well. So and you know his you know yeah that Indiana defense that Indiana defense was a historically good defense. Uh, it, it, back when they had you know Hibbert and 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 Paul George and and you know George you know obviously like a lot of really good defensive players we're naming now, but still that's a historic defense that they had. And and you know even if he wasn't like directly plotting the X's and O's of that, he deserves a lot of credit for it. Right. And it just, I mean, think about it this way. I'm sure there are gambling lines that Jason Kidd would be coaching this team by 2020. I mean, I was making those jokes. Yeah. Everybody I mean, was, I, everybody was, it was, it was out there, you know, and, 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 and that's fine. But you know, like I just think now that they're having this success, I just want to make sure he gets a, he gets shine in our mention of, of very good coaches. Yeah. Vogel has been great. Uh, again, me, Mo, another team, oh, another sorry. team that's winning the games that it's supposed to. Can, yeah. can I ask guys Mo a question? Yeah. Anything you want, that, Seth. This is so this is how much like, you know, obviously percentages are kind of my thing, not yours. 
but like what percentage of like the value a coach brings do you think is stuff you can see like directly watching the game and how much of it is the other stuff how much of it is the player development how much of it is like the motivation how much of it is practice prep how much of it is building like a cohesive unit that will play together God, um, my like i've always i've always thought that like the stuff like the stuff we do see is just the tippiest top of the iceberg i mean like to be honest like i think it's probably like 40 percent. i think 60 percent is the stuff we don't see and that goes into coaching i mean I don't think people fully understand what really goes into your entire day as a coach. I mean, you're dealing with practice plans, scheduling. When are we, are we shooting around this day? Who needs, does a guy need a night off? Does who needs to get minutes? I got to talk to the trainers. What's the, who, who can go how much for in practice? How long should I go in practice? You know, what am I showing the guys in film? Am I showing too much film? Am I showing too little film? Like you, you have so many different things you're juggling and that's only just a, off the top of my head stuff that I'm, I'm saying, like, there's so many things like keeping the guys motivated. Like Dave talked about, Bud keeping these guys motivated after, you know, having won 60 games last year and, you know, keeping them still putting the foot to the, to the, uh, to the pedal and going hard, you know, like it's, it's, there's so many things that you just never know really what's going on development, how you organize your practices, how much time are you spending going over your stuff, going over scouting stuff, going over, Hey guys, let's do a personal development day and everybody go work on, you know, whatever, go get with this coach and you're working on floaters or whatnot. You know, there's just so many different things. Like when people want to talk about like, man, that's a bad coach. I'm like, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Just, you know, and, and, you know, what sounds crazy to you is probably just a Monday to them, you know, and in terms of having to deal with stuff like, you know, Brett Brown gets killed all the time. I, I, I think he's a good coach. I, I would have put him on the list, but I think a lot of people would have accused me of bias and all that stuff. But like, you know, there's a lot of stuff he has to deal with behind the scenes that, you know, keeps this engine running and keep it going. So a lot of times like the X's and O's is good. The X's and O's is important. You know, your game plan's important, but there's so much more to coaching than just that. I mean, you know, and that's at every level. I mean, Dave knows it from coaching in high school, you know, uh, and, and you've seen it obviously set at the NBA level, like, you know, and, and I'm sorry, Dave also knows it in Europe. So it's like, we have, we, we all know it, it goes much further than just this guy can draw up a great play. Cause I've been around coaches that can draw up some of the best plays I've ever seen and can't and coach themselves can't out of it. a paper bag. Can't sell it. That's right. You know what I mean? And part of, Part of being a coach is is being able to sell it to your players and getting that buy-in. And part of that is motivation. Part of that is developing relationships with guys. Do you know what makes Pop such a great coach is he actually knows his players. Like he he has relationships with these guys. You know what I mean? And and he can lay into a guy, you know, and that guy's not going to take it personally because 10 minutes from now, Pop's going to put his arm around his shoulder and tell him a joke. You know, like it's not a personal thing. And they, they you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. And there's all that person, that personal relationship building and things like that, that all goes into it. So, you know, it's more than just X's and O's and, and substitution patterns and rotations. You know, there's, there's just so many things that go into it and there's so many things that go into the decision. And then when people also got to remember, man, sometimes these dudes got to make decisions on the split second fly. And listen, you're more often going to be wrong than not. Right. In a lot of those situations where you got to make a decision within three seconds, 
that's a tough, that's a, that's a risky proposition to begin with. You know, do I sub this guy in crap? No, I missed my opportunity. Or do I call a timeout here at the end of the game? No, I got to save it or whatnot. It's just so many things that go into it. It's coaching is one of the hardest jobs out there. I don't think people give it enough credit and I don't think they fully understand everything that goes into it. Coaching is hard. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Uh, and I, I, my argument has always been that X's and O's is the easy part of coaching. It's, yeah. it's all that other stuff. That's really difficult. So, uh, Seth and what, dealing with the crazy analytics guy. Well, uh, speaking of the crazy <laughs> analytics guy, Seth, Seth, what are you, uh, what are you paying attention to this week? Uh, just the shots. Mo is firing at me basically. Uh, <laughs> no, what's I funny is these, these, are, these should be shots. I should be firing at Dave for what he said about me on the no dunks podcast saying I'm the oh, worst of podcast. Hold on. Hold on. That's now, I also said, I also said not only that you were the best, but also my favorite person to podcast with ever tale of two podcasts. It was and, the best co-host. It was the worst co-host. Yeah. And, and that, I, I mean, you and I have recorded, I don't know, a few hundred hours together, something like that. Maybe a lot, probably too much, but you know, and, and, and I'm not going to stand for, for you taking this random shot at me out of nowhere. <laughs> and when we do get our divorce, Dave, you know where it started. It was the No Dunks podcast. <laughs> this is all your guys is doing. I know what you guys tried to do down in Atlanta, trying to divide us, you uh, know. And you know what? It might work, and it, but it might not. Dave, you're still my guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Seth, Seth, what are you watching this week? Uh, well, I, I, I did, it is kind of, you know, I took some shots, but it is kind of, uh, it's kind of Hawks weeks for me, actually. Cause I'm, I wrote about the Hawks on Monday. I'm, uh, uh, just some, some stuff about their kind of recent 10 game losing streak and, and sort of where they are. A lot of it, we kind of touched on this pod actually. Um, and then for the end of the week, I'm, I'm kind of doing the, the heliocentrism bit. And then also, uh, I think if, if this posts on Thursday, yesterday, I had kind of my league notes, which, you know, Noted that uh, that Trey Young is not averse to shooting from a long way away from the basket. Um, perhaps Weird. More than never noticed else. that. Yeah, and no one no one has ever noticed that. Um, no, some some other things, and uh, you know, also you know, some of uh, a couple of suggestions from Mo in terms of uh, of looking at uh, which teams are are best and worst at uh, going on and preventing runs, both offensively and defensively. I think it, some some interesting stuff there about uh, you know the, probably the teams you'd think. Are, yeah. are good and bad at that, but it's still kind of an interesting, especially offensively for some of the teams that um, are maybe less modern in their offensive style. Like you kind of see maybe a benefit if there is one is that they don't, they don't tend to go three empty possessions in a row, which maybe has some value. Um, you know, I don't think uh, the, the topic of momentum is always kind of uh uh, poo pooed a little bit in in kind of the the analytics community because it's ephemeral and non falsifiable. But if it is a real thing, then maybe there's something to it there. But I'm I lean no. But still, I just gonna uh, kind of looked into that a little bit. So that's 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 the stuff I've been looking at this week. Mo, Mo- momentum will be another debate for another time. There, Seth. Um, no, yeah. Mo. <laughs> wow, that's bad. You know what? That's yeah, bad. Thank you. you know, what? go thank ahead, you. go ahead. Please mute yourself, and you're and you're welcome for the the brilliant idea I gave you on on consecutive stops. That really is influence. like coach brain too, by the way, because like you know, like so much of so much of what I would talk to to my teams is about you know consecutive stops and and trying to you know create momentum for ourselves that way. So um, yeah, Seth, on behalf of Mo, you're welcome. 
<laughs> there you go. There you go, Seth. Uh, so, so Mo, what about you, Dave, man? Dave, you do. You are kind of like Maui, actually, in many ways. I'm like who? Maui from Moana. You're welcome. You don't have kids. You don't know. Uh, never it seen that movie. <laughs> never I seen have that seen movie. it. That was a good one, Seth. I give you that one. I'm glad you unmuted for that one. Um, the uh, someone, someone listening, please hit me on Twitter and explain that insult to me. Uh, <laughs> actually wasn't, I feel like that was a bad insult. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Uh, besides listening for your slander on other podcasts, uh, you know, I haven't really settled in on anything right now. I'm just enjoying the, the hoops. I just like watching the, the dynamics of teams and, and how they go at each other. Something I am kind of fascinated about. I, I might try to, uh, write about it at some point is just kind of how coaches are using their timeouts in the last two minutes of games. It's a little interesting now with the coaches challenge and, and you kind of feel like some coaches want to save it. You know, we talked about it last week with D'Antoni and the, in the Clippers, uh, uh, Rockets game and, and him saving his time out. And I think it's a uh, interesting thing. I, I I'm noticing, you know, when teams, when coaches are preferring to use it versus when they're not. And, uh, that's kind of the, the main thing I'm watching for, for me, I'm, I'm watching the bucks. I mean, they've, they've won as of the time of this recording 12 in a row and, uh, they look really, really tough. And, and I'm curious I'm curious if their shooting is actually good. like Brooke Lopez not shooting the ball well yet. You know, will that turn around and and what this team is going to be looking like here in the next like month? Well, and they got a Gian- fun one coming up Friday night. Exactly. Yeah. And Giannis is just a monster. And, and I mean, it's just so exciting to watch, but you know, I, I, I still am worried they're giving up too many threes. Um, but so far, so good for them. I'm sure Seth has an opinion on that that we'll get after the All-Star break sometime. Uh, that Wow, it got hot there on the mic. That is it for this week's show. Uh, the three of us will be back next week, unless I tell Seth that he's got the week off. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to The Athletic. It's really good. 